All right, so we are still in the sermon series called Storytime, where we are looking at Bible stories that we were taught as children and we're taking a look at them through an adult's eyes, trying to move them from simply fairy tales to solid truth to stand on. So, so far we've talked about this concept of silhouettes of the gospel where God tells his story about what he's about to do with Jesus thousands of years before it actually happens through the lives of others. For example, we've talked about Jonah and the whale and how that is the story about a prophet. God rose up who was in the same boat as us, sacrificed himself to calm a storm that we could not escape on our own, spent three days in death and then rose again. Then we talked about David and Goliath, a story about a shepherd king fighting a battle that we could not fight on our own. Then we talked about Noah's Ark, how God saved his people called righteous, not by works, but by faith, and shut them into a safe place to be saved from his just just wrath being poured out on the world. Today, we will be talking about Adam and Eve, the story of the fall of humanity. And this one is going to be just a little different because This story historically in the Bible takes place in a kind of a different time than even the Old Testament. I mean, this is the beginning of time. And so we're not about to see a silhouette of the gospel. We're just going to hear the gospel. We'll talk about that more later. And so I I want to structure this sermon this way. We are going to read this story piece by piece, and we're going to talk about a micro perspective of the story and a macro perspective of the story. We're going to look at it as individuals and see, just like any other Bible story, the truth that it's telling us about our lives. But then we're also going to look at this story and see what it has to say about the timeline of history, about what it's saying about the world and why things are the way they are. So, We're going to be looking at micro and macro throughout this whole sermon. All right, let's just dive right in. We're going to pick up at Genesis 2.15 and read through verses 24. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the fields. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not 
ashamed. All right, so I want to start this sermon a little off topic. We'll get back on to the sermon series and, and what we really want to learn for today. But first, we're going to start off topic because this passage and this story that we're about to go into has been used to disparage women historically throughout the church. For some reason, the commonplace teachings teach in this fall of man and, and in this what we just read that women hold a different lower place than men. And it is frankly just ridiculous and it is offensive. It's offensive I know for, for me as a man who's role it is, whose job it is to protect and love my wife, and also it is offensive to me as a Bible teacher because it's just really bad theology. You have to do so much work to extrapolate from this text what has been taught systematically throughout the church history. Now I know for many of us we do not want to hear another voice in our world today screaming about how men are the worst. But I just want to talk about this for a second and show the fact that biblical manhood and biblical womanhood are held in such high esteem by God. And how there is an equality shown in this passage that if we could understand it together, man, the church would be the church. First off, I just want to point off a couple, four things. We have just reached from a point where God is making the earth, making everything in existence, and he keeps saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. The first thing that is not good is when man's alone. When mankind does not complete. When man does not have woman. That's not good. The second thing I want to point out is God took a rib from the side of Adam to show equality. Because the completed picture is when they stand side by side. The rib is taken so that when they stand side by side before God, that is the completed picture. The other thing, if we do a word study on this word helper here, you know, this, this is made big. There's not a, a helper suitable for him. Helper in Hebrew is E-Z-E-R, Ezer. And it pops up 21 times in the Old Testament. It's used to describe Eve twice. Then, three times in the Old Testament, it's used to describe a military situation where somebody is about to be destroyed and they're calling out for help. And then 16 times in the Old Testament, it's used to describe God, God the Father, God himself. And so this idea of helper as a subservient word or a lesser word is simply just not true. It is translated later in the Bible as strength. Now I say all this to say, manhood, in my opinion, is something that we are losing as a culture. And I would say that a lot of the, the problems facing our nation and our world is because men have stopped being biblical men. Now I can't speak to womanhood, I'm not a woman, but what I do know is it has become offensive to tell somebody they need to be a man. And I remember very vividly in my life, my dad looking at me in the eyes and saying, you need to be a man. And that was one of the most profound moments in my life. 
And so biblical manhood involves loving your wife and respecting women. And I'm, I'm not preaching to anybody here in this room. I'm simply just telling this so that we all can understand that equality is shown so heavily throughout this passage. And for the women in this congregation, if you've ever heard a sermon talking about how it's all Eve's fault that we're in the way we are, that is just bad theology from a man who is not fully formed, I believe, in his walk with Christ. I challenge every man and woman in here to go back to this first words spoken in human existence. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman for you were taken out of man. We need to love each other as husbands and wives in that way. At last. And we also need to respect one another. Okay. Sorry. I just had to go on that tangent. If I've offended anybody, good. Um, it's something that our world needs today. It just is. Okay, let's dive into the teaching for today. Okay, so what we just read here, besides overwhelming equality being shown between the genders, is we see that God gives this command to Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die. Okay. So, looking at it from a micro perspective, we notice in our lives and, and throughout the Bible, commands of God are always kind of seen like this. We, we view them as limitations, but they're not. I mean, you can eat of any tree in the garden, just don't eat of this one. Because you're going to die. It's for your best interest, for your life, if you don't do these things. We also see later in the story when they do break this command that they literally don't die that day. But they do and they don't. It's, it, it's a little complex because death has not been around yet. And as soon as they cause that first sin, death comes as a consequence to their sin. So, yes, when they, when they sin, they will die. That, that death comes and they are dying every day that they walk outside. But then also that day, literally, they died a spiritual death. They were in the presence of God and they were kicked out of the presence of God. And so if God would have told them, hey, if you eat of the apple, you're going to die in like 30 years. Yeah, that would have been true, but it wouldn't have been as true as saying that you'll die that day because they died spiritually and they died physically. Okay, that's the micro. Let's look at the macro. Now, if you're like me, when I read this story, three questions come to mind. One, why is it commanded not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Two, why is it even in existence if you can't eat it? And three, why do human beings not naturally know the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong? I don't think I'm alone in sharing those questions. And so I'm going to give you my opinion, my I think. Remember, when I say that, well, anytime I say anything, you don't have to agree with me at all. We are all Christians with the Holy Spirit. We all have the same instructions. Not one person knows more than the other, but this is what I think about all of those questions. The first thing is we have to understand two things about God. He is perfect and he is just. 
He is perfect and he brings justice. Right? We know that. That's part of the reason we worship him. There's nothing lacking in him, and also he will not let evil go untethered. So, God creates humanity without this knowledge of good and evil, because if you don't know any better, then you don't know any better. Think about this. If you're driving down the road going 60 miles an hour, are you speeding? Well, if you don't know the speed limit, you don't know. But as soon as you pass a speed limit sign that says 35 miles an hour, if you keep going 60, you are breaking the law. So I think part of the reason, maybe the reason that humanity was created without this knowledge of good and evil is simply because it, it spared us from God's just wrath. It, it spared us from, from messing up and, and not being perfect in the sight of God, of, of sin. To prove to you that I'm not just pulling this out of my hat, Romans 7, 7 through 12 says this, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing its opportunity though the command, through the commandments, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commands came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Paul is saying that same thing. I didn't know what it was to covet until somebody told me, don't covet. And so I think that that is why humanity was not born with that knowledge of good and evil, which then begs the question, okay, why in the world is the tree there in the first place? Well, we talk about God being perfect and creation needing to be complete. And so if God would have left that out of creation, it would not have been complete and therefore not perfect. Which then leads to the question that what happens if humanity stumbles into the garden and, and takes from the fruit of that tree and all of a sudden has sinned that way? Then they must be cast out of God's presence. God doesn't want that, which means that the commandment has to exist. I know that I'm probably talking in circles and not explaining it all that well, but it simply comes down to creation needs to be whole, so the knowledge of good and evil needs to be in existence. Humanity cannot have that knowledge because if they do, they will mess up and be kicked out of the presence of God. And so God tells humanity, don't learn that. <laughs> don't partake of that fruit. Otherwise, I will have to hold you accountable for your mistakes. Okay, that's a, a tangent all of its own. That's just every time I read that story, that is stuff that comes to mind. And I figured try to offer something to think about on it. Okay, so let's go farther in the story. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now we're getting into arguably the seven, it's up there for the seven most important verses in the Bible. These seven verses of the Bible is all we get to explain why we have been kicked out of the presence of God. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, did God actually say, 
You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the root of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. All right, let's look at the micro of this story. Notice how evil comes into our lives. It's the same for today as it was then. Did God actually say? Did he actually say that? And then it tells a half-truth. Because it's true. If you partake of that fruit, if you make that decision, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, what evil is saying there is true. It's just not the whole truth. And that's how it comes into our lives today. And so as Christians, we need to be able to answer that question. Did God actually say we need to be able to say yes or no? But that involves studying his word, having a relationship with him, and and trying to be his disciples. Also, we notice that that fruit was a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. And isn't that sin in a nutshell? It either looks good or we think that it'll advance us. We either just want it or we think that it'll make us better. It's the same thing today. Then in verse 6, we see that Adam was with Eve this whole time, just not saying a word. This whole concept that Eve messed up and then brought it to Adam as some sort of vindictive move is not correct. Adam was side by side, rib by rib with her the entire time. Just not living up to the role of being a biblical man, which is to protect your family. And because of it, the world was broken. Which then brings a challenge into our lives. How many times do we sit silently and let people that we know be tempted by evil? Well, we don't want to step on anybody's toes. and We don't want to cross that boundary. It's really none of our business. Man, we are united by the same spirit. We are the church, which means that we have got to walk side by side and help each other when times get hard. Okay, let's look macro. Why does this sin matter so much? What's the big deal? I mean, they ate of a tree that that they were told not to eat of. Well, it's more than that. Because it's not only disobedience, but it's full-on rebellion. By doing this, they were telling God, we get to dictate what is right and wrong. We get to be God. You don't get to be God. We want to make these decisions for ourselves. We don't want to follow anymore. We want to lead. And we can't even say this whole ignorance is bliss defense about they didn't know any better because they did. The command was given. They had one job. But this also shows us that we are tempted by two forces, external and internal. Yeah, the serpent came into the garden and started asking them questions and tempting them. But the serpent didn't force feed it down their throats. The serpent didn't make them do anything. 
No, they made that choice. For us today, yes, we are tempted by the evil in this world. There is no doubt. And a lot of times it looks so good. But we are the ones, the internal, the flesh, is also what we have to fight against. We are the ones who tempt ourselves most of the time. Us in our world today, we give the devil a lot of credit. It seems like every time somebody's going through something, they say, well, you know, the devil's just on me. Maybe. Maybe he is. Or, or maybe he's off doing something else. But maybe that is just the voice inside our own head. Maybe we are the ones tempting ourselves. In my opinion, again, I think that these seven verses shows where evil comes from in this world. What is evil? Evil is immorality, right? Well, then what is morality? Morality are the commands of God, the perfect, just commands of God. So when you disobey God, when you disobey morality, you are being immoral. When we try to be God's, we produce evil. 655,000 people died last year of preventable diseases. Diseases we already have a cure to. The reason that 655,000 people died is because we wanted to make money off of those medicines. I mean, what is that? So we can get a better cable package, build a bigger house, build a pool in our backyard? 655,000 people died because of humans not, not saying what is right, not following what is right, but saying, no, I'm going to compartmentalize this aspect of my life. It's just business. And that's evil. All right. Let's read this last of this story. It's a big passage, but 3, 8 through 24. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also of the tree of life eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so micro here. What can we learn as individuals from this passage? First thing, really important thing, it is okay to doubt. It is okay to doubt. It is okay to question. It is okay to say, God, I just don't know where you are today, or I'm not even sure if you exist today, as long as you bring it to God. God was walking in the garden with them. If they would have just said, hey, God, this serpent's over here saying, what do you have to say about it? But no, they hid that from them. And because of that, they broke the world. In our lives, it is okay to doubt. It is okay to question. It is fine. But always bring those questions to God. God is not insecure. You're not going to ask God a question and he's going to be like, I am so offended. That's not God. God is truth. So ask God your questions. Just keep him forefront in your life. Now also notice this blame game that takes place. God asks the question to Adam. Adam blames his wife. His wife blames the serpent. And so then when God addresses them, he addresses the serpent to Eve to Adam. Everybody is held accountable. And this blame game doesn't work. And they're kicked out of the presence of God. And now this entire Bible talks about all the things God has done in order to bring his presence back to us. Okay, let's go macro here. Adam could have been Jesus. Adam could have been Jesus. The Bible could have been three chapters. God asked Adam, what did you do? And Adam passes the blame for his sin. The Bible starts off with mankind not taking responsibility for the sin in their lives. And the Bible concludes with Jesus Christ sent by God coming down to take responsibility for the sins in our lives. It bookends the Bible. And as long as we pass blame, we will never live up to who we're supposed to be. Now, prove I'm not making this up. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. This is why I say that there will be no silhouettes of the gospel today, only the gospel. That verse, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the gospel. That is the first telling of the gospel. See, that offspring that God is referring to is Jesus, and the bruise on the heel of the offspring is the crucifixion, and the bruise of the head is the, the utter annihilation of evil and freeing us from sin and shame. So right after Adam says, I won't take responsibility, God talks about the one who will. Jesus is not plan B. Again, if you still are having trouble believing that that is true, Romans 5, 12 through 17. I'm just going to read from it now. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses 
even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the next Adam. That's what Paul's saying there. Adam brought sin into this world, and because of sin, death, because he did not obey God. Jesus brought life and love and hope and eternity to us all through his obedience to God and through his death. Adam brought death and sin. Jesus brought brought life and righteousness. This story tells us the beginning of why we're here, why the world is so broken, why evil is so abundant, why pain and death and hurt and sickness are on this earth. And then it tells a story about how Jesus Christ came in order to save us all from it. Because unlike Adam, who says, I will not pay this debt, it's her fault. Jesus says, I will pay this debt, even though it's not my fault. So the micro application of this whole story is give back your spiritual independence to God. Stop dictating what is right and wrong by your own standards. But allow God to be the judge of that. Allow God to be the one who tells you what to do. Allow the judge to be the judge. Because when we, when we try to be God for ourselves, all we do is create evil. The macro application of this whole thing is simply believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your debt has been paid. You got nothing holding you back. Your sin and your shame and your chains have been broken by Jesus Christ. And it's free. All we got to do is just call on his name and believe in him. And then this entire story tells the story of all the things that God has done for us in order for us to just simply be able to sit and drink a cup of coffee with him and eventually one day go home. That's the macro application of this story. And so my final tangent is this. Let not keep pretending that this Bible is just a book about apples and whales and giants. This has so much truth in it. So much truth that tells a story about how God so loved the world that he sent his son to save us. And how just because one man's sin brought death to us all, one man's life brings life to us all. Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for your word, for your truth, for who you are. Please let us apply these teachings to our lives. Let us treat one another with respect and equality. Let us know that your son has paid our debt. And please, Father, 
please just let us know how much you love us. Let us believe it because our flesh says that you don't. And our evil around us says, did God actually say it? But you did, and you showed us. Father, give us the strength to call out your name so that we never have to be strong again. For we can just rely on your strength and know that you are God and we are so not. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.